0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're in Romans today, Romans chapter 3, and so if you have your Bible, flip in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. I always say this, if you don't have a Bible, you don't need to buy one. We bought them. They're in the lobby, they're on tables, uh, out in the lobby, they're on the high tops. We have English and Spanish Bibles, so get the one that's appropriate for you. Uh, Romans chapter 3, we're in about our... 8th week, something like that, 7th, 8th week of Romans, and we'll be going for a while. So if you, uh, if you found that, if you've pulled up, most of you, a lot of you are pulling up on your phone anyway, so if you have that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read. I'm just going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll uh, break it down, we'll look at it, we'll talk about it, and uh, you'll be on your way, just like that. And so this is uh, Romans chapter 3, it says this, Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? yes. There are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scripture says about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. Verse 5, but some might say our sinfulness actually serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for God to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Verse 6, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Let's pray. So what I'm going to ask right now is with your heads bowed, I'm asking you. I I don't care who you are or where you came from or what your lot in life is or what your situation is. You came here this morning. You took the time out. You drove here. You got dressed. Expect that God is going to speak to you this morning. And so I'm just going to ask you in in a moment of silence in your own way, ask the Holy Spirit to speak clearly to you. You, you. You just take care of that. You pray right now. Father, I agree with that this morning. I say, speak to me. Speak to my heart, God. Speak to us as a church. Speak to your people, God. We've come and, and we've worshiped. And we know that you inhabit the praise and the worship of your people. Your word says that. And so, God, we know that you're here. We just say, give us ears to hear. Now, give us hearts to, and minds that would understand. Whatever it is you have for us, God, whatever it is you have, speak this morning. Do it in a way that draws us directly to you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You guys remember this a couple weeks ago? Pastor Amos, Amos was preaching. He talked about this—the fact that uh, that as you were a kid and you were growing up—and it was different in different homes. But a lot of you had words you couldn't say. In our house, we couldn't say "stupid" or we couldn't say "shut up." We couldn't say things like that. And then there are the obvious things that you can't say. A lot of you still don't say. A lot of you shouldn't say. Now, I just want to be very clear, so we're all being—just so you know where I'm coming from this morning. I'm not trying to be provocative and I'm not trying to be crass. So I'm not gonna say any of those words out loud, but I'm gonna put it on the screen. And so if you have small kids and you don't want your kids to see it, I'll just show it briefly. But there are those certain words that that you should never say. Something. Okay now. We don't say that stuff out loud. Kids, you can open your eyes. Kids, close your eyes again, just real quick, okay? Okay, enough. But then we said this. We said there are other phrases. There are other phrases that we say sometimes. And they're almost becoming like dirty phrases to me. Like it just drives me crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? There are things that we say, and especially as adults that we say, that are just driving me crazy. This has become one of them for me. Like that stuff's driving me crazy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because those of you who have kids, you'll say things to your kids. You're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And you're like, clearly, you do not know. But isn't it true of other adults? You don't, don't you know the adults who, it's like, we always say, oh, I know, I know, I know. And you're like, clearly, you do not know. Because if you knew, if you knew, you wouldn't keep doing that. You wouldn't keep repeating that. You clearly don't know. And it's true of ourselves. Like I say, it's true of other people. It's true of us. And so we're going to ask this question this morning. Because listen, some of you folks, you've been going to church nine months before you're ever born. Some of you, church is a new thing. Some of you have been to church all your life. And there's things that we've heard, and oh, I know, I know, I know. So here's the question this morning. W- what else might I say I know that I really don't know? Like what might be some of those other things? That I, oh, I say, oh, I know, I know, I know. And I'm telling you, the one I'm going to talk about this morning is the one I believe, this is just my subjective, there's no polling on this, but I believe this. I believe it's the one that we most often say I know in the church. And I'm going to talk to you about the fact that maybe we don't know everything we do know. So we're starting in Romans chapter 3. Now here's what's really interesting when you get this passage in Romans chapter 3. Remember, this is Paul. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He's never been to the church in Rome. He's not going to get there for another three years, but he's writing out to them and he's introduced himself and he's told them, man, I've heard about you folks. You guys are amazing and I've heard people all over are hearing about you. And then he's, he's talked to them about some different things. And, and he was talking to the Roman church, which means he's talking to Jews. There are Jews in the church. There are also Gentiles, but they've all come to be followers of Christ. And so he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. And specifically later in chapter 2, he started singling out the Jews, and he started talking to them a little more seriously. Now buckle up. This is what Paul said. Hey, uh, Jews, just so you know it, uh, just knowing the law, just because you know the law, that doesn't make you right with God. Just wait a minute. Because the Jewish folks are losing their marbles. Right? Jewish folks are losing their marbles when Paul said that to them. And then he took it a step further. And he said, just because you practice circumcision, that doesn't make you right with God. Back up, just every, everybody just take a deep breath because I feel the tension in the room right now. Just Because Paul just said that to them. Just because you know the law and just because you practice circumcision, that doesn't make you right with God. Okay, now you get to chapter 3. He's just told them that. Now you get to chapter 3, and Paul starts in on this diatribe. It is true diatribe. It's a, it's a conversation that Paul is himself having as he's writing. Remember, he's not there. He's writing a letter to them. And so Paul's writing this letter. And in the writing of that letter, this is what Paul does. He's going to get out ahead of it. That's what he's trying to do right now when we get to chapter 3. He's trying to get out ahead of it. So in other words, what Paul is doing is he's posing the questions that he's assuming they would ask. He knows what he's saying. He's dealt with Jews before. He's ministered to Jews before. He's been persecuted by Jews before. And now Paul's going to say some things to them. He already knows what questions they're going to ask. And so Paul's trying to get out ahead of it. And so what he does in verses 1 through 8 is he asks a series of eight questions. Really, just so you know this, he asks four questions. Because they'll ask two questions which mean the same thing. It's the same question. And so in 1, 3, 5, and 7, in those verses, in the odd number of verses, he asks the question. And in 2, 4, 6, and 8, he gives the answers. We're only going to look at the first question today. And so look in your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul Paul says this, he's asking the question, he's getting out ahead of it. Well then, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? What's the point? Paul, if you're saying that in and of itself, having the law, knowing the law, if that doesn't make me right with God, what's the point? God, hey, Paul, what's the point of being a Jew? Paul, we practice circumcision. If being, if, if, if being circumcised, if, if practicing circumcision as a people, if that doesn't make us right with God, in other words, God can accept it. A lot of times today, we would say, if that doesn't bring in the church, we would say salvation. If that doesn't get me saved, if that doesn't bring salvation, what's the point? And the way that a Jew might really ask it is this: Are you seriously telling us that being Jewish and doing, and this is the key word, doing all the Jewish things, doesn't make me right with God? That's what They're really asking. And Paul is is asking this on their behalf. He's trying to get out ahead of them. Remember that. Paul's saying, Are you even, are you even are you even kidding? How how can that not make me right with God? I'm doing all the right things. Now, here's what to me was really odd about that. Because you have to understand the Jews and the Jewish perspective and the Jewish state of mind. And the Jewish perspective is: stop, we're the chosen ones. We're God's chosen people. We are the favored ones. We are God's chosen people. And that's not just something that they came up with off the top of their head. That's not just a crazy thought like, no, we'll just call ourselves the chosen one. No, 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 no. This is God now speaking through the prophet Moses, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's saying, Moses, you're going to give this word to the people. And he's speaking in Deuteronomy, and he says, for you, and this is really y'all, it's y'all, it's plural. For y'all are a holy people. This is going to be Moses speaking to the Israelites, who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, of everybody that's out there, the Lord God has, there it is, chosen You all, nation, to be his own special treasure. It's not just something that they came up with off the top of their head. That's not just a crazy random thought like we're kind of special, right? No, they're God's chosen people. They are specifically chosen by God. The Jews are. And this didn't just even happen here. This goes back further than this. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. You know this. Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation story. Genesis chapter 2 is an elaboration on the creation story of how God created man. In Genesis chapter, chapter 3, what happens? Adam and Eve eat the apple. And the whole thing goes into the toilet after that. Just zoom straight down through chapter 11. And when you get to chapter 12, you meet a man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. His his name will later be changed to Abraham. His name right now is Abram. And Abram lived down in Ur of the Chaldeans with his father, Terah, and with his nephew, Lot, and with his wife. And then all of a sudden, they move. And they go up north, and they go up to Haran. Haran would be southeast Turkey today. It's it's well above Canaan, the, the, the land of Israel that's up there. And while they're living up there, remember this, Abram did not worship God. He did not know God. Abram worshiped the moon God. That's who he worshiped. It was very prevalent in that time. People worshiped the God of the moon or, or different planets or, or the sun. Abram worshiped the moon God, and God calls to him. And he says, you're going to leave your father. You're going to leave your land. You're going down into the land. You're going down into the land to where I tell you. And he's, he's going to go all the way down to Shechem. And when he gets down there, God says, I will make you, Abram, this is singular. I will make you, Abram, a great nation. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants. He later tells them, you won't even be able to count them. Can you count the sand on the the shore? Nope. Can you count the stars in the heaven? Nope. You won't be able to count your descendants. He says, I will make you a great nation. And in you and in your people, all the families of the earth, everybody, everybody else on the planet will be blessed. You and I are blessed because of Abraham. We're blessed because of him. How did that happen? Well, this is where all the begats came in. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob, right, had, had 12 sons, but then through the line of Judah, right? And then coming from that, you go on, begat, begat, begat. You get to Jesse, who begat David. And after you get to David, you go begat, begat, begat Jesus. Jesus. He says, I'll make you a great nation, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you because of the Messiah, Jesus, came through. It. This, is why, this is why this is the craziest thing to me on the planet. You, and I, I love World War II history, and if you look at it, the Nazis, you know what one of their major tools was? The church. And Hitler suckered all those pastors into it, and they bought it. It's crazy to me to think that a Christian could be in any way anti-Semitic. And when any anti-Semitism comes out of the Christian church, our Savior is a Jew, everybody. Like, Jesus is Jewish. The Messiah, Yeshua, is Jewish. And so God says, I'm going to bless all the nations on the earth. And so here's what, 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 what uh, Paul has been trying to tell these Jews. I know you're Jewish. I know you have the law. I know you were given the Torah. I, I understand that. I understand that you are the chosen people. But your, your, your rightness with God is not going to happen because you kept the law, because, at least because you know the law. And it's not going to happen because you practice circumcision. What Paul is telling them is this. Even though you're a Jew, there's nothing you can do It's not about doing. It's not the the way it works with God. It's not by our doing. So we started with this question. Remember this? What else might I say I know that I really don't know? So just stick with me for a second because I think this is going to apply to so many of us in the room. I think this is such a big deal. I'm going to show you a verse. If you've been in the church for very long, if you've grown up in the church in particular, if you've been in the church for, for a very long period of time, this may be familiar to you. And if you haven't, just ask yourself, have I ever heard that? Because maybe you popped into church once in a while and and, and you don't call yourself a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. P.S., I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I love having you here. Keep coming back. Wrestle with faith. That's what we're really supposed to do. Wrestle with it. But I'm going to show you a verse. This is Ephesians 2. This is the Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church at Ephesus. And Paul says, God saved you. He's talking to people in the church who who, who know Christ. Here's how God saved you. Let's all say this together. God saved you by his grace. Whoop. He saved you by his grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. Grace is what you need. You don't have it and you need it, but you don't deserve it. That's how God saved you. We needed to be saved from our own sin. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. This is a, oh, it's a gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You just got it. It's a gift. You couldn't earn it. It was a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So, none of us can go boast about it. Okay, now, just that general thought, maybe that specific verse. Just hand up if you've ever heard that before. A lot of us. And maybe if you, if you grew up like I did and you knew an older translation, we'd say, For it is by grace that you've been saved through There it is. And so we seem to kind of know it. We seem to kind of know it. I mean, I think it's interesting. All of this happened, P.S., all of this happened when you believed. Or again, as our older translations say, for it is by faith. And I just want to point something out to you about that word because it, it really is significant in this verse. It was by faith. This is the Greek word, and it's the Greek word pistis. And it means this, faith or belief. That's why it's interchangeable. It is by faith that you've been saved or when you believed. It's the same, same word, pistis. But it means belief. It means trust. This is really important. It means confidence. It means fidelity. It means faithfulness, ongoing It wasn't a moment in time, a cognitive belief. It's ongoing, it is faithfulness, it is allegiance. It's an ongoing, diligent to believe, to place my allegiance. It is devotion, I am devoted to. That's what he's saying. When you believe, when you place your faith and trust. But here's what's really significant. This is why I bring this up. Because the other piece of this is that pistis, biblical pistis, biblical faith, is a gift. It's always a gift. And it's never something that can be produced by people. Even our faith, we didn't do that on our own. Even that comes from God. It's this ongoing trust. This this to me is the key word. It's real trust. And here's why. And some of you know this story, and it's an old, old uh, story. And so if you've been in the church for a long you hear, but it's the guy who's in New York City, and he's a famous tight wire. He walks the tight rope. You know, he's really, really good at it. And so he goes out when he's trying to get his name out there, trying to be known. And so what does he do? He takes a rope, and he strings it between two big skyscrapers in New York. And he says he's gathering a crowd now. And it's like, hey, hey, how many people think that I can walk across this rope? Yes, we believe it. And the people all cheer. And he gets on the rope, and he does this between two buildings, you know, and, and he does it. And everybody cheers and he says, how many of you think, he's got a big wheelbarrow there, how many of you think I could actually push this wheelbarrow across that rope? Yes, we believe it, we believe it. Sure enough, right, he just goes and he walks the wheelbarrow across there and he's like, how many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and push them across it? Yes, we believe it, we could do it. I need a volunteer, crickets. You know why? Because that would take some real trust. See, when you place your faith in Christ, it's not like, hey, I got a moment. I'm having an emotional moment, and I believe. I have a cognitive belief. No, 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 man. Your life changes because you live the rest of your life in the wheelbarrow. That's real faith. And this is a thing that can never be produced by man. It can never be produced by man. That's the beauty of it. And so here's what I want to do. Because we all say it. We all say, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, saved by grace, I get it, by faith, I get it, I get it, I get it, I got all that. And then my question is this, do I? Do, do I really know that? Do you really know that? Let me give you some examples, some things that I'm thinking of. Because these are the things that we commonly think, oh, this is what makes me right with God, this is what will we be saved. And if we just put it in bare terms, this is why when I die, I go to heaven. Because, you Neil, know, I go to church. I go to church every week. Right, like sometimes I'm there three times in a solid month. I mean, I'm, I'm there all the time. Or we say, well, you know, I, I give, I, I, I give. I, I, Neil, and not only do I give to the church, I give to the church and I give regular. I put money in the bucket, brother. I was out the other day and, and it was like Christmas season. I put one in the Salvation Army bucket. I gave the American Red Cross this year. I mean, I give. That's what I do. I mean, I volunteer. You should see me, man. I, I have the record in Tiny Valley. I've changed the most diapers in Tiny Valley history. It's unbelievable. Like, brother, I serve. I volunteer. I, I, I'm there all the time. This is the thing, self-punishment. Oh, but Neil, but, but when I did something bad, like I, I made sure that I felt really bad for quite a while. I made sure of that. I made sure that I really, I really just gutted it out. I made sure I felt terrible for a while. Oh, Neil, you don't know, man, my, my family, my family, my family went to church. My family was in ministry. I got a stinking parent who's a missionary. I mean, doesn't that get me into heaven? And then this is my favorite one, because this is the one I hear more than anything else. You know, I'm I'm a good person. First of all, no, you ain't. Because I'm not either. We're going to talk about that next week. (laughs) Not really good. I don't know how to tell you all this. Adam and Eve ate the apple, folks. And the rest of us are born into sin. We have this old sin nature. And we do all these things, and there's a part of us that thinks we're earning our way. There's a part of us that just does that. It, it's just we revert back to that. And what I'm saying is none of this, none of this, none of this makes us right with God in and of itself. And we have this mentality because then bad things will happen in our life. And we're like, but God, I, I go to church. But God, I drop money in the bucket. But God, I volunteer. But, and God's like, Great. That doesn't make us right. See, we say we know this, saved by grace through faith. We say we know that. But there's a lot of ways in our life that we still live. It. It's like, well, i, I got to get God to like me. i got to get God to approve of me. That just is not going to happen. Like, that train has left the station, folks. We're not on it. That, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't happen. And we just got to know this, man. Salvation is not about doing something. Salvation is about trusting someone. You surrender your life to Jesus, you confess your sins, you surrender your life to Jesus, you put yourself in the wheelbarrow. And now you're right with God. You're right with God. But this idea of we're trying to earn it, I'm, I'm just, i just, the reason I bring that up is because I just see sometimes in my own life, man, I'm just striving. I'm striving. And deep down what I'm really saying is, dear God, like me. You guys like, like you, brother. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. That that's how this happens is when you place your faith in Christ. Right? Paul still writing to the Roman church says, no, 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 no. It's not about doing things. He was talking to the Jews. He says, a true Jew is one whose heart, see, your heart is right. Your heart, you've placed your faith in Christ. Your trust in Christ is right with God. One whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. No, it's not in doing. Right? Really right with God is not in doing. No, instead, rather, he says, it's a change of what? Of heart. See, so your heart has changed. You've acknowledged your sinfulness. You've trusted Christ. You put yourself in the wheelbarrow. That, that's what it's really. So, so when we looked at our original list, look, all of these are good things. Am I saying you shouldn't go to church? No, man, I'm a firm believer. I think those of you, when, you, when you're here today, you will never know. I mean, this is one of those things we can't measure. You have no clue how much you've encouraged everybody else because you're here. And I would say this because your presence here says to me, Neil, you're, you're, you're not crazy. You're not the only one who believes this. I believe that this Jesus rose from the dead, that he died for our sins. Like, like, that's what this is all about. So, so, so all of these things are, are good. They just can't in and of themselves. You can't earn it. You can't possibly earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. It's not about doing. It's about trusting. You're trusting in someone, in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what this is all about. So when you go back to our verse again in Ephesians where Paul says, God saved you by his grace. When you believe. You've placed your trust in Christ, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast. That's what Paul's been trying to tell everybody. In the whole book of Romans, he's trying to tell you, how are you made right with God? He's spelling it out for them. This is how you're made right with God. This is how God looks at you, and God sees you and says, "Mm, my son, mm, my daughter. That's how God looks at you and forgives sin. The whole idea of being a good person, that's a human thought. And quite honestly, humanly, it makes sense, doesn't it? The people who work harder. Look, man, you all went up to school. The people who study harder generally get better scores on their tests. The people who work harder generally do. That's not God's economy. That's not God's economy. It's the thing that is so confounding about Christianity. It's just so confusing. It's so confounding. We're like, well, wait a minute. That, that doesn't make sense. I mean, doesn't somebody have to grunt? Like, like doesn't somebody have to just, ah, just a little? Nope. It's not the way God works. It's not the way God works. Somebody I'm going to give you the big so what this morning because I, I want you to be aware of this fact, that when we try to work for our salvation, we actually reject the gospel. To work for salvation is to reject the gospel. You say, what's the gospel now? I'm going to tell you what the gospel is in a nutshell. The gospel is this. Those folks, Adam and Eve, ate the apple. And as a result, the rest of us are born into sin. God is holy. A holy God cannot tolerate sin. We can't be in the presence of God. God has known this all along. And his plan from the very beginning was to send his own son as a sacrifice. And because Jesus died as our sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb, now when we place our trust in him, that makes us right with God. And to remove any doubt as if, really, would that do it? I mean, was Jesus the right guy? P.S. He did raise from the dead. It validated that he was God. It validates that he's a worthy sacrifice. Now, I just want to leave you with one encouraging thought, because this is me. I read that stuff and I'm like, man, those lucky Jews, they're the chosen ones. In the Hebrew, that word is bakar. In the Old Testament, chosen, bakar, it means this. It means chosen, it means selected, it means desired. Ready for this? It means preferred. It's like, man, those lucky Jews, they're the desired ones. They're the preferred ones. They're the ones God really wanted. So I just want you to keep this in mind this morning. Peter is writing, the apostle Peter, who who denied Christ three times, right? And then saw the resurrected Jesus, went on to be the most powerful voice in the world. And now he's, he's planted church and he's writing and he's writing to them. And he's talking about, he's contrasting between those who follow Christ and those who don't follow Christ. And he says, look man, their sins have not been forgiven. They're they're still in their sins. They're they're still gonna pay the penalty for that. You have been saved by the grace of God. You've been saved. And then he says to this, he's writing to the church, followers of Christ, people who are in the wheelbarrow. And he says this, you, and this is y'all again, you're not like that. You're not still living in sin. You're a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation. You are God's own possession. If that's you and you're in the house this morning, man, and you say, I've given my life to Christ. I'm still battling through this, this thing called life and I'm still struggling in it, man, but I've, I've committed my life to Christ. Listen, you're, 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 you're the selected one. You are now the preferred one. You ready for this? You are the desired ones. God wants you. He loves you. He desires you. He wants to be in a relationship specifically with you. And that's available for everybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you, to be in your presence, to to have you in our audience this morning, God. We love that. We love you you, because you loved us so much initially. You sent your son to die, and we're grateful for that. So, Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. What are you trying to say? And, And how much are we still trying to prove this thing, God? How much are we still trying to work? Help us to realize it's by your grace. And just to say thank you, Just to say thank you, we can't figure it out. I don't understand it, God, but I know enough to say thank you and to accept it.